Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We're going to jump into our Bible study this morning. I always find that we run out of time, that it goes so quick. So I just want to jump into our Bible study, and we'll see what the Lord allows us to get through as we uh, travel chapter and verse through um, 1 Peter. So let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. Of course, always want to encourage you guys to bring your Bibles to church. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you one. I see a couple of your faces lighting up. That must be the Holy Spirit. No, that's your phone. Your phone is illuminating your face. You might have it digitally. That's fine. If it's on an app or if it's on your lap, that's okay. We just want you to get into God's Word. But we are picking up our study where we left off last week. In 1 Peter chapter 3, if you weren't with us, we looked at this theme of submission, and Peter is encouraging the Christians that were scattered during this time of his writing because of persecution and suffering and trial into various regions. Peter calls them pilgrims or exiles. And so uh, these Christians recognized that their home was not on earth, their home was was in heaven. But how do you live life on earth as a follower of Jesus Christ? honoring and glorifying him. And Peter's a really practical guy. He, he talks a lot about theology and really deep things about the Lord, but he brings it down to a practical application, which I, I really love. And so last week we looked at how submission is God's will for our public as well as our private lives. And uh, we see that Peter says and encourages us to um, have submission, to submit to governing authorities because those authorities Uh, are instituted and appointed by the Lord, and we have an influence in the way that we live our lives for Christ in our civic duties. Uh, Secondly, we looked at how um, we submit in our career and in our work, again, as ways to demonstrate um, our dependency and our faith on the Lord in supervisors and managers and the way that we conduct ourselves in work. And those are, those are in our, our, our public lives, but then in our private lives, we looked at uh, submission, respect, honor, and love in our marriage relationships between husbands and wives, and then also in the church. And so Peter is continuing this conversation into, into the text that um, we're going to be studying today, whereas last week we looked at submission, this week we're looking at suffering. And that really is the, the, one of the main themes that Peter presents to the church because of the, what they were experiencing during, the t- during their time. And, um, you know, every single one of us experiences some sort of trial and, and suffering. I, I think that you could uh, probably identify three categories or ways in which we do suffer. One is just the fall of humanity. Go back all the way to the beginning. Uh, because sin entered into the world, now there's just death and decay, and it's a part of the human experience that there's just suffering and pain because we, we are fallen, we have fallen human nature. And uh, that affects every single one of us. The other is we may be experiencing suffering because of choices or decisions that we've made. Can I get a yes and an amen on that one? I, I know that I've, I, I have suffered the consequences of my poor choices 
uh, in life, and uh, we, all, we all experience that. But then the third one, which Peter focuses in on in this text, is suffering for Christ's sake. So if you are, are following Jesus, and you're reading your Bible, and you're praying and seeking him, and you're waiting for the return of Jesus, and you're doing all you can to uh, be a, a, a good Christian in your du- civic duties, but also you're engaged in church, and you're fellowshipping, and you're worshiping, and you're just seeking the Lord, and you're loving God, and here we are experiencing this type of suffering because there's a fellowship that is experienced of what Jesus experienced in his suffering, and Peter's going to tie that together for us in this text. So we're looking at the impact of suffering, and the point that we want to remember today is that suffering for Christ impacts our Christian response. How do we respond to the suffering that we experience because we're Christ followers? And we're going to see this in four ways. It's going to change the way that we speak, should change the way that we speak, it will influence the way that we think, it will impact the way that we act, and it will transform the way that we feel. So it's going to change the words, our thoughts, our actions, as well as our emotions. I know that I need the Lord to do a lot of that in my life through the sufferings that we experience for being a Christ follower. So we're going to pick up our story in verse 13 of First Peter chapter 3. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? If you do good, hey, you're probably going to have a, a pretty good life. It's going to go fairly smoothly for you. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Everyone say blessed. Now, we don't often think that immediately, that when we're stressed, we're actually blessed. That doesn't make any sense. But in God's perspective, as a Christ follower experiencing suffering, there is a blessing. You know, in the Old Testament, the, Psalm 1 says that blessed is the person uh, who follows the Lord. And that word blessed is, is, oh, how happy. We don't think about being happy when we are suffering. But from God's perspective, there is a blessing. We're going to unpack that a bit. And do not be afraid of those who threaten you, nor be troubled, but in light of suffering for Christ, as a blessing before the Lord, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is one of those star verses in the Bible. You should memorize this verse and and underline it and uh, tweet it and post it, however you want to remember it. Hide it in your heart, one of the star verses in the Bible. And oftentimes when we read this verse or we're told this verse, we think about this verse, it's in the context of apologetics, apologetics being the defense of the faith. And I think that there are principles, themes, and truths uh, that relate apologetics to this verse. But in the context of, of Peter's writing and this verse, it is speaking of suffering, It is speaking of hardship. It is speaking of going through trials because of following Jesus. So when you look at this verse from that perspective, we see something even much more beautiful. We see hope. Oftentimes when we're suffering, we don't see hope. We don't see the good. We don't see the blessing. But we can always have hope, as Peter says, no matter what suffering we're experiencing, the Lord's with us. We can be ready to give that defense, and also speak to other people about the hope that we have. 
And uh, there's many questions that people are asking in life, and one of the great answers that you and I have, Jesus is the simple solution to the complex questions that people are asking. And when they look at your and my lives, our lives, when we were experiencing suffering for being a Christ follower, they say, why don't you just throw God away? I mean, you're going to follow God and you're going to go through that? I was flipping through channels uh, the other day, and I came across some of the religious channels, and there was this guy, very, very well-known, like just looked perfect and everything was nice. And he was, he was preaching about how if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to prosper and you're not going to suffer and you're not going to have heartache and you're not going to have pain. And, when you, and if you are experiencing that because you don't have faith and because you're not following the real Jesus. And I thought, well, he's obviously not reading the same Bible I'm reading. He's not reading these verses. There's, there's no way to make the prosperity doctrine of the world today uh, coincide with the fellowship doctrine of Christ's suffering in our lives. And that's a part of what Jesus has modeled for us, but he's also called us in to this. And so he says that we have a defense, we have answers, because people say, well, I don't want, I mean, I don't want to follow your God. Look what it, look what it landed you in. Why don't you just reject God? Why don't you throw him away? Why don't you go do your own thing? And then you have the opportunity to say, let me tell you, with meekness and, and fear, with hope, to share why I'm getting through, how I'm getting through. You know, this word sanctify means to set apart, to set at the center. And so Peter is saying that you and I can survive any storm when Jesus is at the center of our lives. When we establish Jesus as the center and the foundation to sanctify. And notice, before we ever open our mouths in defense of our faith to others, we have first bended our heart in submission and dependency on the Lord. So the best way that you and I can humbly defend our faith in suffering comes from utterly depending on God. There is a depending on Him, and in depending on Him, there's the, now the defense as we utterly depend upon the Lord in our lives, he gives us the ability to humbly, notice meekness and fear, to humbly, hopefully, this word defense means a reasonable, thoughtful presentation of the hope that we have in our lives. It's humbly, it's hopeful, it's biblical. And Peter says that in the context of suffering, as we set Jesus at the center of our hearts and lives, in fact, Jesus said, love the Lord your God, What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Centering our lives on Jesus, as Peter has already been laying the foundation in his letter to these Christians, allows us, it strengthens us, it gives us the ability to always be ready. That means every single moment you and I are out and about, there's an opportunity. There's a divine moment uh, as we encounter people when we are experiencing trials and hardship to be able to open up our mouths, to share the hope that we have in meekness and in fear. So he gives us a perspective of depending, but also defending in a humble, thoughtful, and hopeful way. Sanctify the Lord God, having a good conscience, verse 16, that when they defame you as evildoers, I'm sure no one's defamed you or assassinated your character or torn you down online or said mean things about you, but that's going to happen. It's going to be a part. That's what was happening for these Christians and will happen for us even more so increasingly as you take a stand for Jesus. 
We're going to become the minority and on the fringes and, G- and, and, uh, and, and Jesus freaks and whatever names can be called to Christians. Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So they're seeing our actions. They're seeing the way that we respond. It changes the way that we speak about our faith because we're recognizing that Jesus is doing something in the midst of this suffering in order to present the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Four in verse 17. It is better if it is the will of God to suffer for good, for doing good, rather than for evil. Sometimes it is the will of God. The will of God for us to go through hardship and trial. And uh, he's going to strengthen us and encourage us through the process. So this is the first kind of opening verses of how it changes the way that we speak. Because oftentimes when I'm suffering as a Christian, I'm not speaking hopeful words. I'm mumbling. I'm murmuring. I'm complaining. Oh, none of you, I'm sure. You guys, you've got it all figured out. It's great. But I murmur, I complain. God, why am I going through this? This doesn't make any sense. Remember Job in the Old Testament? He's the righteous beyond anybody. Satan said, what about this guy? I want to take take, uh, Job out. And uh, God said, okay, be my guest. And through it all, he continued to praise the Lord. And he continued to trust in the Lord. And the same is true for us. I, I think oftentimes I, I don't respond in this way. The, the words that I speak going through these types of sufferings, it needs to be refined. It needs to be cleansed. It needs to be purged. It needs to be filled with a ready defense of the hope which is in me because of the, the hopefulness that I have in the Lord. So that's this first point. But the second is this, is that suffering influences the way that we think about God's will. God's will in the past, what Jesus has done for us on the cross. God's will in the present and how we deal with it today. And then God's will for the future. Notice in verse 18. For, connected word to the previous, again, a theme of suffering. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us close to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Here's a focus on the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's the one who ultimately suffered at the hands of the unjust, even though he was sinless, even though he was perfect. His sacrifice on the cross is what enables the forgiveness of our sins. So Jesus was pushed away in death, and by being pushed away in death, it actually brought us close to God. It was his sacrifice that brought us near. Notice he says, we have been brought near to God through the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prisons. Now this is an interesting verse because there is some speculation as to what's being said here. But we're given, I believe, a clue or some insights into who these spirits might be in the following verses. Because we're told about these spirits in verse 20 who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight souls were saved through water so this is a repeated phrase in the new testament jesus brings it up as well the days of noah and it is usually used in reference to the end times Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There'll be a quick and sudden downpour of rain. There'll be a quick and sudden return of Jesus. But also, there will be wickedness 
that is described in the days of Noah. You remember uh, Noah being this just man and his family ate in all, out of all of humanity. And the wickedness that was just so per, uh, pervasive uh, during the days of Noah. In fact, there were evil spirits, demonic spirits, fallen angels that were actually uh, mingling and sexually in, uh, in engaging in relationships with, with women. And this was producing these evil offsprings. You go back into the book of Genesis, you can read about that. And so there was just this wickedness that was prevailing during the time. And so it is suggested that Jesus, after his death, preached to these spirits that's being talked about here, these fallen, demonic, evil spirits during this time. Now, Jesus didn't preach a gospel message, repent, be saved. No, he preached a message of judgment to these spirits. He preached a message of victory and triumph over evil during this encounter that Jesus has with these fallen and evil spirits. Now, we're told a little bit more about the days of Noah, and we're given insight into some of the things that we experience today. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So there's a picture or there's an analogy of Noah in the Old Testament with this idea of baptism in the New Testament. And it speaks of how the judgment of God was poured out upon all of humanity and God delivered Noah and his family by bringing them into the ark. And the flood waters came and really destroyed everybody except for those who were delivered in the ark. And there is this picture of this judgment of God, but also of God's deliverance through water. And the idea is being given to us in the picture of baptism. Baptism not being what saves us, but a, a picture of God's deliverance. It's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's a picture of uh, the waters that wash and cleanse us of our sins, that allows us uh, a, a new life and a fresh start, just as Noah was given a new world and a fresh start after the flood waters receded. The same is true in our lives. It's a picture. The word antitype is a pattern or an example of baptism, not the removal of filth from the flesh. So baptism is not saves us it's not what cleanses us it's not what forgives us of our sins if it was then there would be something that we would be doing to earn our salvation the bible says that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us so this picture of of baptism is given to us in noah and i'm super excited we mentioned that earlier that we have many people getting baptized and this is a, a great celebration and a picture of new birth and new life and a fresh start with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not the water, because the water's from our well and it's probably contaminated, I'm sure. <laughs> we could throw some chlorine tablets in there if you want, but it's not the water that cleanses you and I of our sins. It's not the prayer of the pastor. It's not the moment. It's not this holy thing. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. 
It's his blood that washes us and cleanses us. So there's this picture of the past, of Jesus' suffering in what he experienced for us, that Jesus was pushed away in death to bring us close to God in life. But then we're told in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, because of what Jesus has done, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same mind. It's affecting our thoughts, the way that we think about the will of God and the purpose of God in our lives. This same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sinning. Well, that's a powerful verse. What's Peter saying here? I'm not going to sin anymore? I don't believe that what he's, that's what he's saying. But I do believe that in Christ we have now been delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. Of course, we're still in the flesh. Peter said, excuse me, Paul said, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I, I want to do. There's this war and battle with the flesh, but we now in Christ have the ability to resist, to say, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I've spent enough years of my life living like the world. I don't want to waste another minute, another nanosecond living in that way because Jesus has redeemed me. Jesus has cleansed me. Jesus has washed me. So we have ceased from giving in to the influence and the power and the penalty of sin. And it starts with the mind. In our minds, to cease from sin. That he, verse 2, no longer, he or she, no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We're given two choices and two paths in life. And let me tell you, I've lived both of them. I've walked the path of the flesh. I'm still in some ways just getting that old man off, but I've walked the path of the flesh after my own desires, after my own will. But I've also, by the grace of God, walked the will of the Lord. And it is by far greater and so much more powerful and so much more purposeful that we are given two choices in life. You can walk the way of your will well, you can walk the way of God's will. And Peter here tells us that we should not live the rest of our time. I don't know how much time you have. I don't know how much time I have. But I don't want to waste, as Peter says here, one more second living in the past. Do you realize what Peter is saying? Is that it is possible to waste your entire life living like the world. But the other and the opposite is true as well. That a life dominated by sin can have victory. And that is not just a theory. That's a reality. Because of the victory that Jesus has given you and I. So today, we're given an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm not going to live like that anymore. Peter here gives us a couple of examples of what it looks like to live in the flesh. He's already given us a couple of examples in the previous chapter. For we have spent enough time in our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. That's just a, a, a phrase of the world or apart from God. We spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will and living like the world. Can I get an amen on that? I've spent too much time. Too much time. When we walked... Uh, in lewdness, in lusts, in drunkenness, in revelries, in drinking parties, and in abominable idolatries. Here's just a list of some of those ways in which we walk 
in the way of the world. But notice what Peter says in verse three at the beginning. For we have spent, I love this preacher. I love this pastor. Notice he doesn't say, for you have spent enough time. He says, we. Do you remember when Peter walked the way of the flesh? Far be it from you, Jesus, to suffer in Galilee. Oh, you shouldn't go die in the cross of Calvary. And Jesus said, depart from me, Satan. You remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, Jesus said to Peter, James and John, come and pray with me. And they fell asleep. They couldn't even pray. Jesus came back to him and said three times, could you not pray with me one hour? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can you relate? Jesus says to Peter, man. And now he's telling those, we have spent enough time chopping off the ears of people with swords. That's what Peter did. He spent enough time. I just love that. He puts himself in the midst of it. We spent enough time in the past with all these sort of things. I know I was so lost in many of those listed here. By the grace of God, he delivered me. By the grace of God, he filled me with the Spirit. By the grace of God, he forgave me. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, that's great love. And in regards to these, they think it's strange that you do not run after them. Do you have some friends when you came to Christ said, what are you doing, man? Come on, that's strange. You're not going to go look at those things anymore. You're not going to come out there anymore. You're not going to talk like that. Oh, just give it, a, give it a couple weeks. That Jesus stuff, it'll wear off. No, it won't wear off. When you've been just seized by the Lord Jesus Christ, when you've been delivered, there's no going back. Sometimes we do go back. And that's a shame. But Peter is challenging us and encouraging us in this moment. Don't go back. A life dominated by sin can have victory power because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They think it's strange you don't go run after the flood of dissipation. That's a phrase of uh, the days of Noah. Just the flood of sin, just overwhelming you and I, but we can stand firm upon the rock of Jesus Christ. They speak evil of you and all the temptations, all the lures, all the things, that all the enticements of the world. Nope. Uh-uh. I'm not giving in anymore. I can say no. I've been delivered. Praise the Lord. For this reason, the gospel was preached also, verse 6, to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Some scholars suggest that this is a reference to the preaching of the gospel to those who have died as martyrs because of the suffering that they're experiencing. So it gives those who are in this type of trial encouragement and hope that there is salvation and life after death. We're also told that Jesus preached the gospel To those who were awaiting this gospel, Jesus said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to set the captives free, to open the prison doors, uh, to proclaim liberty, right? So there could be a reference to this in the preaching of this gospel. But there is power in the gospel unto salvation for all who believe. So we see here the past, present, and future as well, that victory is ours in Jesus Christ, but the warning is not to waste our lives in having one foot in the world and one foot on the way of Jesus. Jesus says, today, choose this day whom you will serve and spend whatever minute, second, hour, years, days, or decades left glorifying 
and honoring him. And then we see here a change also that comes in the way that we act towards one another. And that's found in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Are we living in the end times? It's a good question to ask. I think that there's a lot of concern about what's happening in our world today. So for Peter, in first century Jewish culture, to say, Christians, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're living in the last days, we should be ready. Especially when we understand biblical prophecy. And when we see what Jesus taught us about how to discern and understand the times in which we live. So Jesus says no one knows, the scripture says no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return, but we're told to be watchful. In fact, that's the summary of Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13 and the encouragement of understanding the times, the end times, and those things that will happen during the end times. And Jesus says, take heed, watch, and pray that you are not deceived. And Peter says the very same thing. You remember, he was right there when the disciples uh, collectively asked him, look at Jerusalem, look at the city. Isn't it so beautiful? And Jesus turned and said to them, Well, not too long from now, every single one of these stones is going to be destroyed. And then we went on to talk about what it means to live in the end times. And part of that was suffering, again, in the context of these verses. That an increase of suffering as Christians will be a part of living in the end times, persecution. So in light of this, what does Peter say? Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. It's good to have fun. It's great to joke. But we're also told to be sober-minded, serious, watchful in our prayers. So Peter tells us that one of the primary activities of Christians living in the end times is a serious approach to prayer, to pray. And the best way that you and I can see the world correctly is to close our eyes tightly in prayer. If you want to understand what is happening in the world around you and I, Peter encourages us, Jesus encourages us to close our eyes shut in prayer, to seek him seriously. Not only prayer, but notice what he says in verse 8. And above all these things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Peter's going to present a couple of activities for us. That suffering in the end times in our lives impacts the way that we act towards others. There's a vigilance. We should be vigilant about um, our prayer and about our life um, before the Lord. But also, he says that we should also be pleasant. Pleasant in the sense of loving and compassionate. Above all else, put on love, for love covers a multitude of sins. I'm grateful for that for two reasons. One is, is that Jesus' love and compassion for all of my failures, sins, and mistakes covers every single one of them. Not one sin is left out when it comes to the covering of Jesus' blood for me and for you. And so the same is true then. I guess we could ask the question, well, when you get people together in the church, there's going to be some friction. When you have relationships with other people, there's going to be offenses. There's going to be some grievances. 
And for Peter to say that love, being clothed with the love of Christ, covers a multitude of sins is that love and this great compassion has the ability to overlook small transgressions in other people. And that's great because there is not one transgression or sin or failure that Jesus has not cleansed. Not one. That he's overlooked. And Peter encourages the Christians here in the church collectively that love has the ability to heal and to mend the, the relationships, the grievances, the friction, the offenses that we have with one another. Love above all else, be hospitable, verse 9, to one another without grumbling. If you're hospitable, that means you're in close proximity to people. And when that's the case, there's inconveniences, there's challenges, there's difficulties, there's frustrations. So Peter says, don't grumble about it. Oh, okay, I guess I'll do that. But in my heart, I really don't want to. No, he says, do it without grumbling because this is the heart of Christ. And as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Wow, that's tough to do. That's like a, that's like a spiritual filter over our lips. It's as if God is speaking through us. You know, the best way that you can speak for the Lord is to fill your heart with what he has already spoken. Fill your heart with the word of God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're directed by him. And if we're filled with the word of God, then those things that come out are not going to be our words, but they're going to be God's words. Let him who speaks speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It seems like it ends, but it doesn't. He says, let's just say yes and amen to that. So first is, we're told to be vigilant in our prayers, serious. Secondly, we're told to be pleasant in the way that we conduct ourselves with one another, great compassion. And then third is, Peter encourages us to be a servant. He already told us, that you and I as the body of Christ are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That every single member in the body of Christ is an individual minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been given these different abilities and uh, we can use those abilities as ways to encourage and bless other people. So love is best given... In context of what Peter is saying, love is best given when we put our gifts to work with God's grace. It's a picture of his manifold grace upon each and every single one of us. And we're just going to close with this. This idea of how suffering transforms the way that we feel our emotions. I think this is potentially one of the most uh, devastating and difficult but also freeing truths found in the scriptures when it comes to suffering for Christ. Verse 12, look with me there. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. So Peter is saying that fiery trials, which is a picture of suffering and hardship in life, fiery trials should not surprise us 
They should refine us. He's already told us in the first chapter that it is to bring a genuineness of our faith in the Lord. These things should happen to you and I, verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Everyone say rejoice. Here again, he's calling us to rejoice. There's a change in our emotions and how we feel about the suffering because God has a purpose in the pain. There is a plan in the process. Rejoice for the sufferings of Christ. If you are reproached for the name of Jesus, blessed are you. Everyone say blessed. So in one sense, we're stressed, but God says you're blessed. That doesn't make much sense, but that's God's perspective. You're blessed when you're experiencing this suffering because we're fellowshipping with Christ for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, an evildoer, a busybody of other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, now this is the first one, one of uh, just a couple of references to the word Christian in the New Testament. The first was in the book of Acts where uh, people who followed Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. And uh, this was a, a term or a, or a title given to those who, who followed Jesus, Christians. So if you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. Sometimes we think, wow, that's pretty intense, the word judgment. I thought, Pastor, you said that we have been delivered from God's judgment. Yes, that's true. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Peter's going to go on to talk about how there are two fires. There are two flames. One is the, the flame of trials in our lives as followers of Jesus. And these flames of trials are intended not to judge us or to condemn us, but to purge us, to cleanse us to chasten us, to discipline us. But friend, there's also another fire. And that fire is the fire of judgment. That fire comes as a fire of punishment. And so we have a choice. Do we want to allow the Lord to purify and cleanse our lives by following Jesus or this judgment? Notice, he says, in the house of the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about this second fire. Let me just close with this. How suffering affects and changes how we feel and our, our emotions. Peter says, don't think it's strange when you go through these types of trials. This can really change the way that you think about this. That Peter is saying that you and I can't fully fellowship with Christ without some flame of hardship in life. That's pretty radical. Because when we go through the flames of hardship in life, there is a sense of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes we want to push those things aside. We want to, we want to extinguish the fiery flames. It's burning. It's a little too close. It's too hot. I can't handle the heat. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said, bring it on. And when they were thrown in the heat, who was with them? Jesus. Jesus was walking around. 
Right there with them. Remember going back, sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. Set him at the center. You and I, we can't fully fellowship with Christ, fully fellowship with Christ without some flame of hardship in life. That changes radically the way that we speak about, that we think about how we act and how we feel. Because God uses suffering as a suitable tool to teach us these valuable truths in our lives. So I'm gonna have our worship team come on up. Here's a couple of takeaways for us. I know we've covered a lot of ground, and that's good when the scriptures are just read and taught and explained because the Holy Spirit is gonna to speak to you in your heart and in your life. But maybe as we're dealing with this type of suffering, you and I, we need to rely upon and depend upon the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to speak through us when we share about the hope that we have in Jesus. Secondly, is that we talked a little bit about how your and my life, our lives, if it's dominated by sin, can be delivered. And maybe right now, just in your heart, in your life, you know there is something that is dominating your life. And it's from the past and it still has control over you. Let me encourage you as we sing this closing song to confess that to the Lord. Give it to him. Say, Jesus, break this chain. Give me the victory that you have already won. I don't want to live double-minded. I don't want to live on the fence anymore. I don't want to have one foot in the world and one foot with you. I want to be all in with whatever time, with whatever moments, with whatever seconds I have left. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your scriptures, your truth. It's living and active. And I pray for my, my brothers and sisters here that you would encourage them, that they would find sweet fellowship with the one who is well acquainted with their pain in the closeness and presence of Jesus right now in their lives. And they wouldn't turn back. They wouldn't look back. They wouldn't waste another minute. Help us all, Lord Jesus, to sanctify, set you apart at the center of our lives right now. respond with joy to experience your hope. Thank you for the work that you have done on the cross to accomplish this in our lives. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.